This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, it's Toby Mathis, and I am joined today by Jen and Stacy Conkey. Did I say that right? Sometimes I put <laughs> you your did, last you did. <laughs> Perfect. I just know them as Jen and Stacy. And like, here's the thing: it's like we've known these folks for a long time. They've worked with our firm for years, and uh, I just love inviting people in that are like really good at what they do. And, and Jen and Stacy, they're in the multifamily realm. And I just want to say, welcome, guys. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you guys here to interview. Thank you for having us, Toby. Thank you, Toby. All right, let's dive in. So uh, w- what I really want to focus on is the three roles that are out there in multifamily, how somebody gets into it, what they should be avoiding and all that. So can you give us the thumbnail sketch of the multifamily uh, world right now? What are the investment opportunities? What are the three roles? Just just give it to us all. A lot of meat. A lot of meat. There's a <laughs> lot of meat in this. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of people think that uh, if they want to get into multifamily, that they, they've got to be able to do it all. And one of the things that we figured out over the years and what we teach is that there's really three roles. And, and if you're, if you identify as being really solid in a skill set in one of those roles, then you would make what we call a whole team. So the first role is acquisitions manager. Second role is capital raiser. And the third role is asset manager. And an acquisitions manager is just somebody who's sort of really kind of like a freak in the spreadsheets. They like numbers. They like to look at trends. They like to look at the market and identify, hey, what's what's really good about this market? What are all of the compelling reasons? And what is the evidence that this is a solid market? And what does this deal look like specifically? So they're just really good with numbers. They're really good with numbers and they can generate a pro forma. They can look at budgets. They're just really good with that stuff. Capital raiser, on the other hand, is somebody who's like, they got to know the numbers, they have to understand them, and they have to be able to make key distinctions about those numbers and what to do with it. And when we might stub our toe, because they are in charge of going out and really just being investor relations people. They're really good with people. They're good at providing an opportunity to people, a return on their investment and showing them the deal, but really handling it as a relationship, a long-term relationship. And so they bring the capital into the deal so that we can close the deal. Asset manager is the one who is going to look at the entire thing. So we've got the acquisitions manager that put and underwrote that deal. And now the asset manager looks at the pro forma, looks at how are we going to put this in play? So they're really good at project management. They're really, really good at increasing the top line and also reducing any expenses that might be there. So they're also good with numbers, but they're good at projecting and actually taking the projections and implementing the plan. So. Being able to say, okay, we've got this 96 unit here and 45 of these units are already really renovated and they're market ready, but we've got, you know, these other 41 units that we've really got to get through and and turn it around and get it up to market rents. And these other ones are already stabilized. So they come up with the plan on when are we going to be spending this capital to do these renovations so that we meet what we told our investors we were going to do to perform. Now, if you take all three of those roles and roll it into this big ball and you think, God, I got to know how to do it all, it usually tends to keep people stuck so that they won't move forward. But when you dissect it and you identify these three roles and which one appeals to you and your skill set, it really just unleashes possibility in you. So that's why we lead with that. The three roles are just, it's so clear. And then forming a team so they can go do at least two to three deals a year together. Yeah. So, so multifamily isn't. Hey, I want to invest in this. I'm going to go do everything. And it's like buying a single family resident. I'm going to rent it. You're basically saying, 
stop just for a second, figure out where your skill set is and what what your role could be, and then find a team to join. Is that is that accurate? Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the, one of the things, Toby, that we always um, when we're you know teaching our students is you need to understand the whole process from start to finish. But one of the things that will keep people dead in their tracks is recognizing as they're learning, here are all the pieces. There's going to be certain ones or multiple areas where they're like, oh, I, I'm not going to be terrible at that or I'm afraid of that. And then they just don't move forward at all because somewhere in the process, there's something. So firm believer that everybody should know, should understand the whole thing. But it's a lot less overwhelming when you're going to go and buy your first 15 or 20 unit building to know that you don't have to be great at every single thing. But if you can really focus on the areas that you're so good at and you find two other people or if on a small building, you probably could fulfill the three roles with two people in a small building. When you start getting into, you know, 40, 45 plus units, it usually it's going to be three people just because the amount of work there is. But recognizing, got to know it all or at least be familiar with it all. But then you get to focus on where you soar and everybody moves forward faster. And it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I wish I had a nickel for every time there was somebody out there who was a good promoter. But <laughs> at the end of the day, they just couldn't, like you would ask them questions and they couldn't do the financials or, mm. you know, the, as the deal progressed, you know, two or three years into it, they just, they didn't have the answers to the questions and things were falling through the cracks and yeah. maybe they were worried about their management and all that fun stuff. And it's probably because they were trying to wear too many hats. Is that, yeah. is that something you guys have seen? That's definitely something I've seen. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah. When you have some clear delineation on roles and responsibilities, it just makes it makes it a lot smoother. You know, everybody knows their role. It's interesting. So multifamily right now, what would you say the state of multifamily is? Like, where are the opportunities? Where are the pitfalls? You know, we've all heard about debt coming due and all that stuff. It, how real is it and how, how bad is it going to be? I know that I have my opinions for sure. And I, I don't know, but I, I just wrote sure. a lot. So... <laughs> Um, but I feel like there's nothing but opportunity yeah. that's coming. And, um, you know, it, I mean, we really have to tell the story. It goes all the way back to 2008 when it came down to this housing crisis and they started printing money and then they started printing money again during COVID. And when you print money, that leads to inflation. And when that leads to, and then the next thing you know, you see all the interest rates rising. The thing is that back in about 2020, when everybody was trying to get deals to pencil out, they weren't working very well. So they ended up going with floating rate debt. And that's what we're about ready to face is everybody's, I mean, these interest rates, they, they spike them faster than they ever have in 40 years. And, and the Fed, they, they're, they're still very speculative. They, they're hemming and hawing on whether or not there's any more coming. So it feels like it's a moving target, but that even over here, we still get to face the fact that anybody who bought a rate, a rate cap back then, they're, they're coming on expiration. And, and that's when they're really going to see, we're going to see a lot of people that are just, they're going to, here's the keys. And then there's opportunity or they might be able to, I don't know, raise enough capital to try to save it. But I just don't see that that's happening because of the financing. No, you're looking at another two years to see interest rates really come down again. If they do what Wall Street expects, but you know, the the Fed kind of does its own thing. Yeah. Personally, I think we're in for a long pause, right? I think that they might pause interest rates hikes, but the economy is still uh, robustly growing, which, which which means usually you're raising interest rates. Yeah, so I'm kind of like our economy has been defying gravity for years yes. now. Yeah, I agree. And the, the interesting gen- thing that I see is that uh, in these markets where they were using that floating rate debt, they are very good markets. So you're going to see these mm-hmm. assets that they're very good assets, and they're also in great markets that were very hot, high transactional markets. So that makes it even more juicy for me. 
And that means that a good group could go in and get a great asset that might be working at a 4% loan, right? At, at the numbers when they bought it, now it's at a 7% loan and now it doesn't work. All of a sudden it's negative. So you're picking it up and maybe you're, you know, I don't know what the money is, but you know, if you're able to come in cash, obviously you just get, you're the beneficiary of all that hard work and you get to come in and plug and play. Is that kind of what your group is doing is you're trying to marry these, these, these three roles together, put people together and go find these deals? Sort of. So, um, beyond just what's happening right now, because our, we've been, you know, our academy has been running for four years now. And when the market was very competitive, our whole thing is you have to underwrite the deal. We don't, ha- we don't have a single person in our academy that's facing any kind of foreclosure, even though there's this massive foreclosure wave coming because we've been reaching, we've been expecting this for a long time. Frankly, it, it shocked me that it took as long as it did to correct. But anyway, one of the main adjustments that we made years ago and that we've told our students to make, and especially now is when you're looking at underwriting deals, you're looking for stuff that at one, it were even whatever the interest rate is that it works. So for example, we have a 48 unit that we are working on right now, um, raising capital for, and that 48 unit is going to be, I think we originally underwrote it at seven and a quarter and it still worked. It's great cash flow deal. It still was a, you know, good solid cash flow deal, but because we hadn't rate locked yet, now it's looking like it's going to be 6.9. So it's going to be even better. But the whole thing is when we're teaching our students, like don't be in such a rush to just get a deal. You got to think that this is going to be a long-term thing. And although over the past many years, until interest rates started rising, the most popular strategy has, especially for large syndications, was the value add. Like it's okay that it doesn't cash flow. It's okay that it's negative cash flow for multiple years because you're going to make so much money on the end. And unfortunately, not only is that not going to happen, a lot of people are going to lose their entire investment because the operators are going to lose the property because of the floating rate debt. So one of the the things that we've been really preaching to our to our community is look, there's nothing wrong with value add. We love value add, but just make sure from day one, it's cash flowing at today's interest rates. And you know what? If rates come down and hey, I don't think it's going to be less than two years, we will not look at it, any deals that are less than five. Like at three-year deals, we're like, nope, I want it to be lower in three years, but I just, I don't know. And we're conservative. We went through 2008. We know like there's a lot you can't predict. Uh, but I think that's one of the main things that we're teaching our students. It isn't so much go to those markets specifically we'll let that we let them know there's great markets that are available you could probably pick up properties for let's say pennies on the dollar but you know those banks loaned at probably 60 to 65% loan to value so when the bank takes it back that's all that they have to cover that other 30 to 35% that's going to be you know the loss from the investors so if the banks are willing to let them go you know close to what they have and people are going to come in and be able to get it at a lot lower price then they bought it for three to four years ago. Yeah. Just the, the short of it, Toby, we, we have somebody who generates a list for us quarterly of the markets that we think mm-hmm. are good. So we'll have some that are in that high performing hot market that, you know, the Phoenix, the Tampa's, the Houston's that, and then we'll have the middle of the country market, yeah, which Midwest. we also love because, you know, your cash capital flows. goes further <laughs> and they cash flow. So it's a mix, right? And then we do, we absolutely direct them that, hey, here's the list. Go check out these markets and go get some deals. Yeah, it's like it's like 2008. I don't know how active you guys were, but when we were going in there and you're putting out offers on properties, everybody and their mother now realizes this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, and you're trying to do short sales and stuff. That's not really the case here. Is there's there's equity in these properties, and so you're walking in, and they don't have a gun to their head saying, "Hey, you got to dump this." There's just people saying, "Hey, you know what? I just can't cover the 
the, the cash flow, but there's pl- plenty of equity. So they're going to be coming onto the market, not necessarily completely distressed, but again, plenty of opportunity there for somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. I think a lot of it's going to depend too on whether the operator has a realistic picture of, mm. of the value of their asset now, because with, as cap rates have, you know, started going up in some markets, the values of the property went down and it's just, it's them marrying up. How long can I carry this property with this negative cash flow? Once the, you know, because of their, their rate went up and timing it so they could sell it and hopefully keep some of their, their equity. So that's going to be an interesting thing to, yeah, to see. see how it unfolds. The other thing that Jen and I have really been focusing on this year, and we are, was it two, three deals that we have that have been seller, fi- is seller financing is looking. Mm-hmm. We've always liked seller financing, but especially right now where people have low interest loans, not variable ones, like fixed lower interest loans mm-hmm. from the past several years. And they're just looking to be done with it. And there's value add. We found there's a lot of opportunity in multifamily, specifically with seller financing and looking for the sellers that are just, they're, they're usually self-managing. So they're all burned out and they're ready to be done, but they like the cash flow. So we have a, mm-hmm. a 13 unit with, with storage that we're closing on. We closed on a 96 unit earlier this year and it was seller finance. We're able to take advantage of a previous loan that um, was low interest rate. So it ends up being like a win-win. <laughs> Are you taking it subject to, or are you assuming that loan? Uh, no, neither. Uh, well, in our academy, there's we've had every single type of transaction on the mm-hmm. 96 unit. That was actually a, it was a super creative deal. It was effectively like a wraparound mortgage. In in mm-hmm. practice, it was a little bit more complicated. We ended up having to take over part of a an entity. There's a lot of lawyers involved in that one, but like the the crux of it was the seller's existing mortgage underlying mortgage is still there, and then we bought it for more than him. So they have a, a loan that wraps around that. Even his bank is, was involved in this. So that's the, kind of what we did was a wraparound mortgage. And then on the one that we're buying that we're closing on um, January 3rd, that was just originally, it was going to be a land contract um, and talking to the seller's 89 years old, super sharp guy, super sharp business guy, but he's just like realistically like, he's like, well, I mean, I'm 89. So he owns it in a trust. And he's like, look, I just, I just want the cash flow. So he was willing to do, <laughs> he, well, he has no mortgage on it. But he's willing to do a five percent, you know, five percent um, loan, thirty year amortization for seven years, and mm-hmm. um, so that one's a really good cash flow. That's a really good cash flow deal. It's it's in a market that's not going to see a lot of appreciation. It will, you know, we'll make some money on it, like on depreciation, but it's mostly like we're just going to have cash flow coming in every month for the next seven years once we close that. And but we were able. It wouldn't have penciled that way at all if we had to go through bank financing. It would have been a skinny deal, probably not that attractive. We would have passed on it. It was only because he was willing to do seller financing. It made it not just a good deal, it's a great deal. So I, I love seller financing. Him. It's my favorite. Yeah, good for him because they're carrying and spreading out the tax liability. People don't realize. That's, that but was hey, his whole reason. And when I said, yep. thank you for offering to do it this way, because we're excited about buying this property. He said, he's mm-hmm. like, well, thank you for being willing to buy it this way because now I'm not going to yep. get killed on taxes. And I was like, yeah, he's going to recapture in the first year, but he's, he's probably owned it for a while, right? So Actually, only five years. So he five just five years. Yeah, well, not that not that long. Me. Not that long. Like uh, like 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 Jen said, they 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 printed out a lot of money, and uh, yeah. what did they do? Four four point one trillion, and they've been tightening it. They've been pretending that the interest rates increases are bringing down inflation, but they've been tightening currency. I'm I, I'm there with you. As soon as you said that, I'm like, hey, you're looking at M two money supply and looking at the. CPI and they're they're identical, right? They go up like right in tandem. I'm like they're tightening, so they really don't need to raise interest rates. That's all for show in my right. my personal. Same. Um, <laughs> hey, speaking of show, I, I would I want to change gears a little bit. Uh, first off, how do people find your academy? 
and what is it and how do they how do they find whether or not multifamily is something that they should be doing? Um, the best place would be our website, which is rmfiacademy.com, which stands for Remote Multifamily Investing Academy. That'd be the best place to go look for for the academy. Okay, we'll put we'll put that in the show notes to make sure. I wanted to make sure I got that out there because you mentioned the academy. I'm a I'm always one of those guys. It's like you could go to every different type of educa- educational course and it doesn't hurt you. It's always gold nuggets out there that you find. And if and if you're looking for multifamily, don't just go to one person, right? You really do want to be part of a group yeah. where you're working with others that have done it, been there, done it, have that t-shirt because there's lots of holes you can fall on and they just want to, don't oh, go yeah. over there, don't go over there, don't go over there. Like you just <laughs> want to work with people like Jen and Stacy to make sure. But I wanted to talk about uh, something, Jen, I think, I think you do the uh, neuro-linguistic programming and things like that. A lot of people don't realize how much of our behavior is, 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 is affected by that, you know, the seven inches in between your ears. How much does that come into play, especially when you're teaching people to get, to get involved? Yeah. Um, it's 80%, 80, every, every like 80% of everything. <laughs> a little percentage, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's literally Pareto, right? So 80% of everything that you do is mindset related, whether it's multifamily investing, taxes, whatever, owning a business, it's all 80% mental and 20% of it is the logistics and the how and the action that you take. So, you know, and we're all human beings. So what happens is in our, in the fiber of our bodies and our being, we just want to get as close as we can and stay as close as we can to what's familiar nine times out of 10 Mm -hmm. and familiarity, it keeps us stuck because then we want to do the mundane, the boring, because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel certain. So when people come into the academy, they come in as human beings and they want to go do those things and they're really excited Mm -hmm. about it. Then as soon as they hit that first challenge where they can't seem to get a deal under contract or whatever the first challenge is for them. They start to have doubt sink in and then they start to revert back and withdraw to the old self, the old habits, the old beliefs of, I can't do this. I'll never figure this out. And what's crazy is that we don't realize how often we do that. We're really good at what we do. And so you're a subject matter expert in your current role. And then you want to come learn something new. Well, it took you a long time to learn the thing that you're an expert in now, but you forget just like childbirth, you forget what it took to, to get to that level. Mm. So I'm always telling our students, the first 90 days is the roughest. It's the hardest. It's like, we send you into the Coliseum with a shield and a sword and we say, go get them, you know, and they run in there all excited to go get their first deal. And then they realize, oh my God, I'm my, my first opponent is actually myself. And they do a lot of work to make sure that they don't withdraw and go back to what's familiar. You got to lean in. You got to lean in and find out why is this a must for you? So that's what I'm always bringing them back to when they first come in. They got to do the exercise of why is it a must for you? Multifamily. Why must you do this? What are all the reasons Mm -hmm. why? And get them associated to that why. So the first time they hit a challenge, they remember why they started and then they don't give up. It's, it's usually when we don't associate to a strong, compelling reason that gives us leverage over ourselves. When we don't do that, we quit. There's like five reasons why most people quit. The very first one, the domino is the wrong motivation. And when you have the right motivation and you're moving towards it, you, you won't lean back. You won't go to what's familiar. You want to go into the unknown and mm, rise up to the level of skill that your goals demand. Do you work on this in your workshops then? Is that something that you guys are doing is, is helping people get clarity as to why they, what, like what they're trying to accomplish, what they want to do? Absolutely. So we have a, we have a quarterly event. It's called WowCon. When people come to it, the first two days are usually all about real estate. And there's a transformational day on day three 
in the first two days, what we do is we help them kind of like Hogwarts and Harry Potter with a sorting hat, which, which role is yours? Mm-hmm. You know, are you an asset manager, an acquisitions manager, a capital raiser? Once they've decided that, I lead them through an entire, it's an identity rewiring actually, so that they step into that identity in full power and certainty. So we, we definitely tune them up at that event. We get them associated to their why. We get them in that role that I, they identify with the most that serves their skills. And then I really just re- rewire them on the, on day three. And then we do something really crazy to seal the deal. They're either breaking a one inch board, you know, with their hands, or if they're lucky two times a year, we break a 40 pound arrow that could kill a grizzly bear with our throats. And that's when people are really like, Oh my God, I just broke this arrow. I can do anything. You know, uh, it's for whatever reason, the arrow break is the most significant. A lot of people will just break a board. No problem. But when they see that arrow, uh, that's, that's very transformational. And they step into that new identity. Like there's no stopping them. And that is fun for us. Like we love that part. So yeah, we, we teach them what the roles are and then we help them identify what roles for them. And then we wire them into that identity. That's what the event's all about. It's pretty cool. All right. So I, I this question is for Stacy. So you people coming through, like what what are your what are your favorite uh, success stories that you've seen from folks that have come through the academy? Well, it's my passion has always been for like the super noob, <laughs> the super person who's never done multifamily at all and they're nervous and they're analytical and they're in their own way and and all those things. So my favorite success stories which we tend to attract that person anyway, so almost all of our stories are success stories of that. But really, it's for the person that comes in and they've always wanted to do it. And they just kept putting it off, and putting it off and putting it off until they finally had enough. And then they come in and they'll, they'll go through the course. All of our students have a one-on-one coach and group coaching and the events and all the different, they have every level of support. But it's when they, I don't care if it's just their first eight unit building or their first five unit building or 20 units. Most people's first deal when they come in, when they're really, really scared is somewhere between eight and 15 units. But when... When someone crosses that threshold to that first closing, it is, it's, it's incredible. I'm going to use Temi as an example. So when we first started the apartment program, there's this guy, Temi, he's from Nigeria. I mean, he's from the United States, but he's originally from Nigeria. He came here and now he's working. He bought a couple of duplexes in his home market. And he's just like, man, I just, I really want to be able to scale into apartments, but he's extremely analytical which I get because I my background is a CPA and very analytical, which means you ask a bazillion questions. You want to analyze everything to death and never actually make a move. And so that's where he was. And he's like, I need to be able to scale, but the numbers don't work where I live to do apartments. I need to be able to do it remotely. But, you know, but he was in his way. So he was, he's one of our, our first ones. I just, I love to see him go through it because it took him it took him longer than most people to close that first deal. It was probably six months to close that first deal. And it was just a little six unit building, um, but it was in Hartford, Connecticut. He lived in Indiana and he had so much trouble getting that deal to the finish line. Every deal is challenging and it's always challenging in some random way. And so you like, no matter what, you always have to raise your level, but he kept having challenge after challenge. And I remember him saying, Stacey, I, my realtor is going to kill me. Like, she hates my guts. I just know it. And I was like, I mean, like, she doesn't hate your guts. He's like, I can't get the bank to close and my mortgage broker. He was so frustrated and so stressed out. And I was like, this is just how it is. It's just part of the game. You're doing everything right. Just keep going. Do not give up. So anyway, so finally, of course, he finally got it closed. It was like the longest closing ever. He got it closed. And he was just like, <sighs> <laughs> he went to sleep for 24 hours. Yeah, he he slept for 24 hours. And he's like, 
I can't believe I finally closed that. He's like, I know my realtor is never going to talk to me ever, ever again. And I was like, oh, let's make a bet right now. Cause I guarantee you anything yeah. you're going to hear back from her in the next month with another deal. He's like, no, no way, no possible way. She hates my guts. I, it took so long to close. And I'm like, no, you are a closer. You don't understand Like you're a rare commodity. Tons of people yep. want multifamily real estate, but they don't know what they're doing. And so they literally can't get it across the finish line. You did. Two weeks later, she brought him another one. Yep. And then within yep. 45 days, he closed it. And so we have a lot of, it's story after story of that, of the first 10, 11, 15, 24 unit. Um, and those, I love watching our students scaling. We've had multiple students that are with us for three years now, and they're on to hundred unit buildings, but they started with a 10 unit. And so some my favorite with, with five. Oh yeah. And, and some started with a dupe. Like when we yeah, were like so really weird. early on, we were teaching two to four units when the interest rates were better and that made sense. Um, but some of them started with their very first duplex and it was still just as scary for them, but they broke through their own limiting belief. They got um, the confidence. They got yeah. confidence from actually showing themselves that they could do it. Cause Jen's right. Their first obstacle is them. Yeah. And once they do it, they get confidence. Then they have um, credibility also yeah. with brokers and lenders. And so anyway, my favorite success stories is always that first deal because it's what opens the floodgates for their whole life. And my, it's not just real estate. My favorite part about the Temi story was that just the identity he needed to step into. I, I told him, you need to be spicier. He was, he was right. not being assertive enough. And so I literally shipped him a bottle of Tabasco sauce oh, to put on his God, desk God, so that he that. would symbol <laughs> symbolize, oh yeah, I got to get spicier. And I, it helped him get through it. But yeah, yeah, I did. I sent him Tabasco sauce. That's great. That's right. That's yeah. awesome. It sounds like it, it sounds like you guys have a cool community and that's what it really takes. People don't realize it's like at the end of the day, a lot of people want to be wealthy. A lot of people want to do multifamily. A lot of people want to do a lot of things. Uh, that and 25 cents might get you a cup of water, right? It's, you actually have to put it into action and get that team that's going to push you and get you to actually be part of those that, that group that actually does it. And I, I think you were spot on, Stacey, when you said that uh, with, with the realtors, a lot of realtors spend a lot of their time wasting time with people who are like, I want to do multifamily. And then as soon as they get resistance, they walk away. Well, here's somebody who finished. Yeah. So you're one of that 1% of those people who does what they say they're going to do. And all of a sudden you're going to have everybody knocking down your door saying, you're one of those people, you're a closer. Exactly. And, uh, as we all know. and yeah. it's hard for them to get that first deal because all of the realtors who've been burned over the years by new investors. So it's the hardest for new investors to get that first deal because you're not only overcoming yourself, you're overcoming the credibility factor on the other end. So it's nice for people, people to be able to say, oh, um, what we've done is, and they'll, the we will be somebody else like in the academy. Or we'll say, look, just tell them that we recently closed a blank deal. And we'll say, use our deal. They don't have to know who the we is. But no matter what, it's hard for them to even get deal flow when they're new, no less actually close it. So it's a it's a big mountain to climb. But once it's done, it's like the whole world opens up. It doesn't mean real estate's easy. It It's not easy. It never will be. It's challenging. But that first one, if you can just get through it, oh my God, the second one is infinitely easier. And you know you can do it because you've done it. You've already proven it to yourself. Yep. It's it's definitely worth it, but it's it, it's going to take effort and you need to have a good team. All right, guys, I'm going to ask you, each of you take one question. Why multifamily? Why now? Okay. I'll go with uh, why multifamily. Uh, you know, we've done every kind of real <laughs> estate. We've been doing this for over 20 years. We've done fix and flips and single family rentals and new construction and small duplex or, you know, small multifamily, large multifamily. 
when I look at everything, one, we're a big fan of, uh, I think you call it infinity investing, like continuing to uh, to reinvest mm-hmm. and build long-term generational legacy building wealth. Love it. And cash yep. flow so that if stuff goes wrong, you still have money coming in. So multifamily compared, so rentals in and of itself, I'm always been a fan of that because it's the long-term wealth building. Multifamily mm-hmm. to me has a lot lower risk, financial risk than single family, just in that you know, for the, we only own a couple of single families left in our portfolio, but the couple of single families we have, like, it's always on my mind. If that tenant moves out, we are covering the entire mortgage, taxes, insurance, utilities, property management out of pocket because there's no one else to cover it if that tenant leaves. Whereas even a duplex and you triplex and 20 units, a hundred units, it spreads out the financial risk so that if somebody loses a job or moves out unexpectedly, you're not like, Oh my God, going into savings to try to pull it out. So. If Multifamily for me is just really about cash flow coming in um, and then keeping it going long term so that you have options. Basically, yeah. so you have options. You could live the life that you want to live instead of being forced to show up at a job every day. Everybody has to, has to do that in the beginning, but it's nice to have the option of when you've built enough that you could actually leave if you wanted to. Yeah. And for me, multifamily, because, well, for all the reasons that Stacey just said, but also because if there's one thing that I learned from 2008, it's that people always need somewhere to live. And, uh, you know, there's the Gen Z's of the world, the millennials of the world, they are not buying that American drinking the Kool-Aid dream of you've got to buy your own house. They would rather Mm -hmm. rent. So that tells me right now, okay, even though there's a a housing shortage, uh, the the two biggest generations that are pretty equivalent to the baby boomers, they want to rent. They don't want to go buy a house. They'd rather buy assets that pay them. And I'm all about that. And the other reason that I would say multifamily is because, you know, that not just the passive income, but when there's that much opportunity out there and those two generations want to rent and they always have to have somewhere to live. To me, that's, that's more steady than the stock market. You know, there's a lot of volatility in the stock market, but right now, most importantly is the qualified buying pool for, for homes is so low based on the interest rates and everything that's going on. People are having to rent, even if they didn't have two generations that prefer to rent, people are going to, they're not going to be able to buy homes. So to me, it's always multifamily all day long, build your wealth in multifamily and then diversify in other asset classes. Once you have that wealth established. Fair enough. I think you guys uh, laid out a good case to do multifamily and a good path forward. Again, how, how does somebody find you again? Just throw your website out there and tell them what they should do. Like not just go to your website, but is there a course that they should uh, join in? Is, is there is there a way that they can plug in? Is there newsletters? Is there some way that they can continue to follow you guys? We have a resource page that has, I don't know, eight or nine of like our master classes, just so people could get like some foundational knowledge. So that's a great place to mm-hmm. go to just kind of start to get a background. And if it's something that you're like, I, I want to learn more, I want to check out your academy, then you can, you're welcome to book a call at the bottom of it. But if nothing else, like at least start to lay the foundation and don't let years go by before you get in the game. Cause there's so much opportunity. Like you got to ignore the news. They're, they get paid to scare people. And that doesn't serve your long-term wealth building in the least. B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Jen and Stacy. So J-E-N-A-N-D-S-T-A-C-Y. And that will Perfect. take you to a, a page where you can, yeah, just learn, learn. And then if, you know, if there's something we can do to serve you or help you, then feel free to reach out. Well, Jen and Stacy, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. And I hope that people actually do something and take some action. I appreciate the fact that you guys are educators and that you came on and, uh, and, and certainly I, I learned something. Every time I listen to you guys, I learned something and I hope that everybody else did too. Thanks for having us, Toby. Thank you, Toby. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 